0: Nuclear proliferation. Global pandemic. Famine. Environmental genocide. War. Mankind teeters on the brink of a second dark age. Everywhere you turn. Chaos. Anarchy. And shadow. In these bleak days. Under the fading light. Where businesses and the little guy are left for dead on the side of the byway and people cry out for the rule of law. Humanity is at a breaking point, where there is no light at the end of the tunnel, and everything good seems to have been barred, or banned, or barred. Two men offer up their voices in the darkness, a shining beacon leading the huddled masses into the safe harbor of good business practices and occasional time travel. Here are your hosts, the Sirens of Sanity, David Pridham, and L. Bradley Sheaf.
1: What do you think about that, Brad? Uh, boom, boom, laka, laka, boom.
2: Buddy, it's been years since I've heard that song and so I'm glad you were able to go to the back of the rack, as they say, and dig it up. It's a good one. It's catchy and now I'm afraid it's going to be stuck in my head for you know hours to come, but you know what? That's all right. Those are the risks you have to take.
1: Brad, starting with COVID Corner Newsreel, more lockdowns, Germany, France, and Chile. I know you've been following the Chile situation um, really closely. Meanwhile, in the U.S., things are starting to open up. I know in the Northeast, they started with the prisoners and they vaccinated all of the prisoners and then they moved on to the heads of the teachers unions and got them. Uh, then after that, they vaccinated all the politicians mm-hmm. so that things they, are essential. Uh, and then they moved to the nursing home. You know, again, priorities have to be established and followed. Uh, but I will say that uh, what's what's really interesting is that the dichotomy between the U.S. where things are opening up in Europe where things are seemingly falling apart. I mean, just look at the UK, right? They had a study in the Wall Street Journal, I think in the last couple of days that said they've reached herd immunity. It's like University College of London said 73.4% have either been vaccinated or have the antibodies in Britain. And then the same day that Imperial College came out and said, actually it's 34%, we got to lock down again. And that was the, remember the Imperial College is the one that said there'd be tens of millions of people dead and bodies in the streets and all this stuff. So I get the sense they don't know what they're doing. Maybe if
2: you had previous experience with Imperial College being so wrong as to be almost comical, and then you had a more reputable source of information come out and tell you that you had herd immunity, maybe you would go with that more reputable source of information then reverting back to the apparent total jackasses at
1: Imperial College. Next, Brad, the America's pastime, Major League Baseball. Mm. So baseball's moved the All-Star game out of Georgia to Colorado in response to the Georgia election law, which is much more permissive than the laws in Colorado. Uh, and actually, yeah. if you take if you take a look at Atlanta, you know, one of the most diverse cities and Georgia one of the most diverse states moving into Colorado which is one of the whitest states on the planet we live in a society where businesses like major league baseball apparently are making decisions based on media coverage that is slanted to say the least i mean look at look at look, look at the Georgia law right you had major league baseball you had coca cola delta airlines all come out I, mean, I don't even know what the hell you know coca cola Has is is basically poison. You know, it leads to it gets crazier, right? Like the airlines, like Delta. I know United this past week said that going forward, the number one criteria they're going to use when hiring pilots is diversity. Number one, right? Number one, not whether or not they can fly the fucking plane, yeah, or land it. You know, anyone can take off in a plane, land it, of course. But it's it's diversity, right? It's it's this whole concept of judging people based on how they look or how they appear or what class they're in or what group they're in, which I thought we were trying to get away from. Um, and, you know, in the past, we've had white bigots in the South preempt voting rights with the Jim Crow laws, which at, with actual Jim Crow laws and with hiring freezes on minorities. And now we've come full circle the other way. It's wrong in both cases, but we've completely Yeah, it will never be. Right.
2: You can't make that right. Well, you're a yeah. racist. I mean, yeah. if that's your number one priority, you're going to pick people for positions based on their race, then you are a racist.
1: Yeah. It's important to be merit-based in hiring. I mean, you look at our company, we that's how we do it. And we have a pretty diverse workforce. The other way you could do it is how we do it on the show and just pick people at random. That's how we ended up with Jared as our producer.
2: And then what you get is a guy who's apparently out shopping for electronics while you're on your podcast.
1: I mean, that's exactly right. That, that is exactly right. And that's a lesson in um, sort of management, managing people and bringing people on board. You want to have people uh, who are there based on the merit, based on uh, what they've done. And you end up with diversity if you do that right. On the other hand, if you pick people at random, like Jared, you have someone shopping in an Apple store when the studio audience is you know, filing into the studio ready to see the program, right? Ready for the big boxes of Ray Cerrone to be toted out, looking for the guest uh, guest stars um, and no producer in sight.
2: Well, I will say this. It was kind of Jared to hold the door for our studio audience on their way in as he was on his way out. Now, admittedly, there were some quizzical looks as people recognized him. I mean, Jared is a, is a known entity, obviously, and people were saying to themselves, isn't that the producer? Why is he leaving? Yeah. Is there a problem? No, no, don't worry, folks, sit down. Be comfortable. Show's going on. It's just that our producer needed a case for his iPhone 6. And so he's uh, he's at the Apple store, but he'll be back.
1: Uh, next, Brad, the Supreme Court. Stephen Breyer asserting himself uh, with the big Google Oracle uh, suit. Apparently, uh, you really can't own or create software anymore without the large tech companies being able to steal it. But at least Stephen Breyer all 80 some odd years uh, old, uh, who's on top of this technology thing is on the case.
2: Well, and that's the problem, right? You probably know this, I do not. I don't know how the Supreme court picks who is going to author any given opinion or decision. I don't know if it's random. I don't know if somebody says, hey, I'll do it. And everybody just goes, hey, that's great. It's on you. I don't know. Screw if, it, I'll
0: take it. I'll take, yeah, it, I'll take it.
2: What the hell, who cares? It's Google and Oracle. Anybody heard of those folks? I'll take it. Right. I mean, I, so I, I don't know how that works.
1: The way the way I, I understand it works is that the the if the chief justice is in the majority, he can write or he can assign it out.
2: I, I, I am in no position to criticize or question Judge Breyer's or Justice Breyer's overall legal bona fides. Right. Especially since he's been on the court, I have certainly not taken the time to go back and review other decisions on other areas of law that he's written. But I can tell you, he sucks out loud in the technology area. And you would think that the Supreme Court, the Chief Justice would have recognized that long ago and said, hey, Steve, why don't you sit down for this one? We'll let someone who's less than 100 years old write this opinion. And then you're certainly welcome to add your thoughts, because obviously, it's a collaborative effort. But yeah, I mean, putting Breyer on the byline, as it were, of this particular decision. You're basically telling people, we don't really care about this.
1: Uh, next, Brad, something we've added this week, because again, a lot of the uh, folks in uh, the big uh, Madison Avenue studio, and basically they said, look, people like the high tech. They like the big flashy outer space stuff. And if you look at podcasts over the last few months, the people were crying out, for more discussion of the Verna uh, program that sent spacecraft after spacecraft after spacecraft after spacecraft from the Soviet Union towards the planet Venus. And so people said, look, that's that's exciting. Right? You think it's Star Trek or Star Wars or, or or Lost in Space, right? With the robots and the high tech and the lasers. That's what they want to hear. They want to understand more about this whole Verna thing, right? we talked about the the I believe
2: thing.
1: it's actually Venera. Listen again, but let's not get complicated. That's not what they, people care about. They want to talk about launching spacecraft at the planet Venus, Brad. And Verna 13, or Venera, again, whatever you say, 13, this time of year, 1982, was the first craft to land on the planet Venus and send back pictures. And it lasted 127 minutes and then it then it was eviscerated by the atmosphere.
2: And I'm no astronautical engineer, but I, I think if you put the time and effort into building a spacecraft that will take a probe to Venus, and then once it gets there, you get a solid two hours and seven minutes of data back. Yeah. You gotta be over the moon about that, right?
1: Yeah, but in any event, we'll be talking more about the Verna or Venera project in the coming weeks. And there may be a time machine surrounding that at some point. Again, we're working on the yeah, particulars. Boy. But in any event, let's go right to uh, Time Machine now, and then something a oh. little bit more pleasant, a little bit more um, conducive to human existence. How about Los Angeles, California, April 1984?
2: Well, I, I tell you what, you're only taking half a step up from Venus if you're going to go to LA in the, in the 80s, my friend.
1: Well, I mean, you're getting ready for the Olympics. It's a great time. Reagan's president. So LA, California, everyone knows the rules for Time Machine, Brad goes back in time with a malt beverage, a Zima, Alfresco, Terminator style, and tries to resolve major conflicts. Um, everyone knows April 1984, there was a, a big uh, altercation between a man and a woman. Uh, the son of the couple interfered, got shot. And at that point, r and had changed forever, right? Marvin Gaye was laying dead his dad had killed him. Marvin Gaye Sr., a minister, yeah. killed him. So is the, the task this week, and this is this was voted on by uh, the members of the studio audience. No help to Jared. We had to do this all by sign language and secret signals. Um, you go back in time. You've got a four-pack of Zima. Uh, you're there uh, before the fatal shooting of Marvin Gaye. Let's get it on. Marvin Gaye, sexual healing. But you know... As not many people did at the time, that Marvin Gaye Sr., who's a minister, a Christian minister of God, is also a cross-dresser, which is a fact. You can Google that now. It's a fact. So how do you handle this situation? It's a conundrum. A canard, some would say. Others wouldn't.
2: Well, how is it a conundrum? I mean, you want to prevent the murder of nearly anyone, right? I mean, I suppose there's a list of folks you would say, nah, they're probably better off dead. But not Marvin Gaye. Right. And certainly not at the hand of his father, who was obviously a troubled person in his own right. You know, if you're a Christian minister and a cross dresser, then you're probably looking for a Zima, right? Like you're probably just looking around for a Zima, right? Just to take the edge off. I mean, you've got, there's some conflict going on there. It's going to bring the tension down, you know, several notches. And then I'm able to pull Marvin Gaye Jr. aside, apologize for the fact that, you know, I'm not wearing anything other than the, the little cardboard container of Zima, which I'm now using to protect my modesty and explain to him, hey, you might want to, you know, make yourself scarce because the old man has kind of lost it. And, uh, you know, I'm going to obviously compliment him on, on his musical talent and gifts. And then I'm going to send him on his way. I mean, that's, that's the way we do that. And then I'm going to get on my way. And by the time old man Gay is through with his Zimas, young master Gay is out of the house. I'm gone. He's got to deal with four empty bottles. Hopefully his wife is also taken the opportunity to make herself scarce. And I think we're all set.
1: All right, Brad, this week in innovation. Okay. So these are, again, innovative steps, things that have happened that changed history. First, uh, April 1865, Appomattox Courthouse. Robert E. Lee surrenders to U.S. Grant. Unconditional surrender. 1912, the technological marvel, the Titanic, sets sail this time of year, 1912, the Titanic. Now, 1961, the first man in space. Do you have any idea who it was? Yuri Gagarin. Correct. From the? Soviet Union. Ah, interesting. So the Venus Project doesn't look so dumb anymore, does it? No, it still does. 1974, April, uh, Hank Aaron breaks the all-time home run record of uh, Babe Ruth, 714. He gets 715 off Al Dowling uh, of the LA Dodgers. Uh, 1977, punk rock is going crazy in um, Britain. The first major British punk rock band publishes their their, their, uh, first album, which was a hit, The Clash released their first album called, Brad, ready for this? Yeah. The Clash.
2: There you go. And why go any other direction? If you like your
1: name, you like your name. Put your name on your album. And then finally, 1981, the first space shuttle, Columbia, launched, uh, again, not towards Venus, because we didn't have the chutzpah or the imagination to do that. That's it. So, Brad, finally, uh, we get to presidential poll position. Unfortunately, the news is not good. Uh, The horses are still subject to the COVID protocol. Um, we've been doing nasal swabs three times a day and also letting them out for trots, if you will. Some would say runs, others wouldn't. So we are still sort of in a holding pattern. But what we are going to do is we are going to start uh, on social media asking folks to vote for their favorite course. And a couple of lucky uh, responders will get a IP frequently. T-shirt, but in any yeah. event. So that's where we are with um, that's where we are with presidential poll position. Again, we appreciate everyone uh, and their uh, support for these horses as they go through this COVID ordeal. Finally, Brad Barter Band, okay, Jurassic Park, the
2: actual park or the movie?
1: Well, as you know, Elon Musk has uh, uh, developed a number of different technologies, a number of different companies. One of his companies, uh, front page of the Wall Street Journal, Neuralink. Uh, the CEO says that it's time for a real-life Jurassic Park and that Neuralink has the technology. Now, I'm not sure if that's true. I know we looked at doing something similar with iPedia, uh, but the animatronics thing kind of got us all caught up, and then that copyright dispute with Disney didn't didn't, didn't help. Um, but what do you think? I mean, uh, is Neuralink going to uh, develop a real-life Jurassic Park with uh, dinosaurs and uh, the like.
2: Well, I certainly hope not. I mean, you don't have to watch much of that movie before you realize that was a bad idea. You know, now maybe the folks at Neuralink are smart enough to sit down, you know, go through that movie frame by frame, figure out where mistakes were made, and maybe that will be enough to develop a safe and beneficial Jurassic Park. But I have my doubts, buddy. I mean, once you see that Tyrannosaurus Rex chasing down that Jeep, you got to ask yourself, huh, you know, I would have been better off going to a roller coaster park
1: than, you know, this. It would take about 15 years of breeding and engineering to get to a number of super, and I'm quoting here, super exotic novel species of dinosaur, which could then be put into a park-like setting where people could go and visit similar to a zoo or a theme park um but
2: how do you what is the definition of a super exotic novel breed of dinosaur if you shit one dinosaur that's pretty exotic isn't it think if you can just produce a dinosaur and make it available for public observation you're, you're probably doing yourself okay in the dinosaur
1: breeding realm but in any event, uh, yeah. So I think I think we're both are we both leaning towards Bard, or are we saying no? Let's yeah, get.
2: I'm, I'm going to say that's a bad idea. Yeah, I'm a, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to put a bar down on that. Look, if you want to create, what what did he call it? Super exotic and novel, like
1: super exotic and novel species. Of yeah, dinosaur.
2: yeah, of, of dinosaur. Yeah, let's see that. Mm-mm. Yeah, I'm a, I'm not going there. Could be a bad move.
1: Well, there it is, and that's that's uh, again another great tenet of business we take a look at the entire landscape and not just how cool it would be to have a dinosaur running around the earth. Well, Brad, I think we've reached the end. There's nothing else we can do here.
2: No, we've solved some problems. We've established some precedent. We've created some fences around bad, you know, genetic ideas. I think we've done our job, buddy.
1: Our work here is done. Hopefully next week, those horses will be back in tip top shape and ready to go. But uh Uh, Until then, we'll have to just uh, continue with our our hopes and our, our dreams for them. Which, after all, is why
2: we're here, to sustain the hopes and dreams of the average American small business owner here on IP Frequently.
0: This has been IP Frequently. Once again, clearing a forest of lies with the machete of truth. You're welcome.